Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Today's program is a follow-up to our newsletter topic, Agents for the Management of Pseudomonas aeruginosa Infection. Our guest today is that issue's author, Dr. Sean Aaron, Senior Scientist for the Clinical Epidemiology Program at Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, as well as Professor and Division Director of the Respirology Department at the University of Ottawa in Ottawa, Ontario. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from AbbVie Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Gilead Sciences. Learning objectives for this audio program are that after participating in this activity, the participant will demonstrate the ability to discuss optimal therapy of chronic pseudomonas aeruginosa infection in patients with cystic fibrosis, Describe the pathophysiology of pulmonary exacerbations associated with pseudomonas infection in patients with cystic fibrosis, and evaluate the optimal choice of antibiotics to treat pseudomonas-associated pulmonary exacerbations in patients with cystic fibrosis. Dr. Aaron has disclosed that he has no relationships with a commercial entity. His presentation today will include references to the off-label or unapproved uses of drugs or products, including inhaled colistin, inhaled levofloxacin, inhaled ciprofloxacin, liposomal amicacin, Dorapenem and Cidafloxacin. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. And Dr. Aaron, welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Your newsletter issue, Doctor, reviewed some of the newer research in managing pseudomonas infections in patients with CF, including efficacy comparisons between inhaled antibiotic agents and new insights into this pathogen's role in pulmonary exacerbations. Our focus today is on how some of that information can impact clinical practice. Uh, so if you would, Doctor, start us off with a patient scenario. Okay, well, I can think of a typical case that I saw last week in the clinic. This was a 21-year-old female with cystic fibrosis. She's Delta F508 homozygous, and she's a new referral to the clinic. She's a transfer student from another city. When we review the referring notes, they reveal that her sputum cultures are growing chronic mucoid pseudomonas aeruginosa. She's had this infection for a number of years now. And her lung function is 60% of predicted and appears to be stable. Chronic mucoid pseudomonas and a a stable FEV1 of 60%. Uh, Your overall impression and thoughts about treating this patient, doctor? She appears to be relatively stable now and has a chronic endobronchial infection. And what we want to do is try to keep her in good health and with stable lung function. The mainstays of treatment that we try to reinforce at every clinic visit are a good, optimal approach to overall health care for patients with cystic fibrosis. And what that would involve, most importantly, would be regular chest physiotherapy to ensure secretion clearance. We also recommend to all of our patients that they maintain regular exercise therapy, aerobic exercise of at least 30 minutes, two to three times a week at a minimum, will improve chest secretion clearance and will augment and supplement regular chest physiotherapy. In addition, the beneficial effects of exercise are numerous for our CF patients and include better cardiovascular fitness and better muscle strength and better overall health status. So chest physiotherapy and exercise are two of the mainstays that we don't want to forget for our patients with CF, whether or not they have chronic infection with pseudomonas. The other obvious mainstays of treatment to keep this patient healthy involve good nutrition and regular use of pancreatic enzymes to ensure absorption of fat-soluble nutrients. It's important to recognize that this patient is chronically infected with pseudomonas. So she has a 
mucoid strain of Pseudomonas growing in her sputum, and mucoidy implies chronic infection and probable conversion of some of that infection into a biofilm phenotype. This means that this Pseudomonas infection is unlikely to be eradicable. In other words, giving her antibiotics, whether oral or inhaled or intravenous, may control the infection, but is unlikely to eradicate it and unlikely to render her sputum sterile. So the issues here are chronic treatment and control of her pseudomonas infection in order to try to keep her optimized and keep her lung function as ideal as possible. Uh, and your thoughts about anti-pseudomonal therapies? There are a number of therapies that we could consider for this patient to chronically treat her pseudomonas. And one of the mainstays of therapy, as we reviewed in this newsletter issue, is inhaled tobramycin. Inhaled tobramycin given twice a day in 28-day cycle, that is 28 days on and 28 days off, has been proven in several very well-done randomized controlled trials to improve lung function and also to somewhat prevent exacerbations in patients who are chronically infected with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So inhaled tobramycin would clearly be a therapy that we would want to consider for this patient, especially since her lung function is about 60% of predicted, which would place her well within the range for this therapy. There are certainly other options that we could consider specific to Pseudomonas, and one of them would be inhaled as trianem. We reviewed a paper which clearly showed that inhaled as trianem given in 28-day cycles over three cycles was potentially as good or superior to tobramycin for improvement in lung function in patients with chronic pseudomonas infection. Inhaled as trianem would be another option. As trianem is generally given three times daily as opposed to tobramycin, which is given twice daily. Finally, another anti-pseudomonal inhaled antibiotic, which is not actually used as much in North America, but is used frequently by our colleagues in Europe, is inhaled colistin. And this can also be given twice daily. For patients who have relatively severe infections and decline in lung function in our clinic, we'll sometimes use inhaled tobramycin in a 28-day cycle. And in the off month, we'll use a second antibiotic, either astrianem or colistin. Therefore, the patient is getting alternate inhaled antibiotics on alternate months. We've had some success with this regimen, but I have to stress that that's not a regimen that's been approved or proven yet in clinical trials. It is important to note that the makers of astrianem are conducting a clinical trial where they're going to alternate inhaled tobramycin in 28-day cycles with inhaled astrianem in 28-day cycles over six months. And the issue is going to be to see if that alternate therapy is superior to inhaled tobramycin given alone with the second alternate month being no therapy. So we will have an answer to the question is whether we should be alternating inhaled anti-pseudomonal antibiotics, but we don't have it yet. We don't have that answer. There are other therapies that we should consider for patients with chronic pseudomonas, and the most important one would be oral azithromycin, which can be given usually as 500 milligrams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Clinical trials have clearly shown that in patients with chronic pseudomonas infection, oral azithromycin will also improve lung function relative to placebo and to some extent will prevent exacerbations as well. Another therapy which we use a lot in our clinic, which is not specific against pseudomonas, but will certainly improve lung function, is hypertonic saline, which can be given twice daily. Hypertonic saline doesn't have any particular anti-pseudomonal antibacterial effects. 
However, it is very good treatment to improve secretion clearance, and studies have shown as well that it improves lung function in patients with chronic cystic fibrosis and pseudomonas infection. The major issue is not whether we should start ACE therapy, but how many therapies we should start and whether we should use therapies concurrently. In our practice, we often use multiple modes of therapy to treat patients. So we might use an inhaled antibiotic as well as a mucolytic such as hypertonic saline or potentially DNAs. And sometimes we'll combine inhaled antibiotics in patients who are doing poorly along with azithromycin. So we certainly can use a multitude of treatments to try to improve this patient and treat her chronic infection. Now, when you use azithromycin, do you continue the inhaled antibiotic? And are are there any concerns about drug-drug interactions or any particular side effects clinicians need to be aware of? Yes, we often will use an inhaled antibiotic, such as tobramycin, along with azithromycin at the same time. And, you know, azithromycin is generally safe in cystic fibrosis. In non-CF patients, there are reports of potential hearing loss and also a potential for long QT syndrome and QT prolongation on the ECG with azithromycin. However, this treatment has been used for over a decade now in cystic fibrosis, and thus far we haven't really seen much in the way of side effects. So, yes, we will use treatments together. And we don't generally worry about drug-drug interactions with these classes of medication. The CFTR modulation therapies, uh, what are the data showing about their potential effect on her chronic infection? We don't know for sure yet that CFTR-specific modulating therapy will help to treat chronic pseudomonas infection. But there is some interesting data that we present from an article in the newsletter, a clinical paper of a cohort study of patients with G551D cystic fibrosis who were treated with Ivacaftor. And those patients who were G551D mutation status who had an intermittent infection with Pseudomonas aeruginosa, that is, those who had less than 50% of their cultures in the preceding year that were positive for Pseudomonas, when they followed these patients over time after starting Ivacaftor, they found that up to 70% of them became culture negative for Pseudomonas over the next year. So there is some interesting information that suggests that CFTR modulators may impact on culture status and infection status in patients with cystic fibrosis. So although we don't know this for sure yet, it'll be important in the future trials of CFTR-specific therapy that we assess infection status as a secondary outcome. The bottom line is that patients whose mutation status are G551D should be considered for Ivacaftor therapy since the clinical trials clearly show that this improves lung function. And this cohort study that we've reviewed suggests that Ivacaftor may also potentially render sputum culture negative, i.e. it may have some antibacterial effects against Pseudomonas aeruginosa, either directly or indirectly, by improving the CFTR function. The other specific therapy that has just been approved for cystic fibrosis is Ivacaftor-Lumacaftor combination therapy for patients who are Delta F508 homozygous. We do not know at this point if this therapy would have any impact on infection status, and obviously we will need studies to see if there's potential clearing of pseudomonas with this therapy in patients who are Delta F508 homozygous. So the future will tell us whether this is also a promising therapy to treat chronic pseudomonas infection. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Sean Aaron from the University of Ottawa 
in just a moment. Hello, I'm Megan Ramsey, nurse practitioner and clinical coordinator for adults at the Johns Hopkins Cystic Fibrosis Program at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I am one of the program directors of eCystic Fibrosis Review. These podcast programs will be provided on a regular basis to enable you to receive additional current, concise, peer-reviewed information through podcasting, a medium that is gaining wide acceptance throughout the medical community. In fact, today, there are over 5,000 medical podcasts. To receive credit for this educational activity and to review Hopkins policies, please go to our website at www. E-cysticfibrosisreview.org. This podcast is part of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, a bi-monthly email-delivered program available by subscribing. Each issue reviews a current literature on focused topics important to clinicians caring for patients with cystic fibrosis. Continuing education credit for each newsletter and each podcast is provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine for Physicians and by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing for Nurses. Subscription to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is provided without charge, and nearly a thousand of our colleagues have already become subscribers. The topic-focused literature reviews help them keep up-to-date on issues critical to maintaining the quality of care for their patients. For more information, to register to receive E-Cystic Fibrosis Review without charge and to access back issues, please go to www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. Our guest is Dr. Sean Aaron, Division Director of the Respirology Department at the University of Ottawa, and we're talking about agents for the management of Pseudomonas aeruginosa infection. Uh, so to continue, if you would, doctor, give us a follow-up on the patient we've been discussing. You might remember that she was chronically infected with Pseudomonas, and when we first saw her, she was quite stable, and her lung function was 60% of predicted and had been at that level for over a year. So at that point, when she transferred to our clinic, we decided to continue her chronic therapy, which at that point was oral azithromycin, 500 milligrams every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as well as inhaled tobramycin, 300 milligrams twice daily, which she was using in 28-day cycles, 28 days on and 28 days off the medication. We didn't add any new therapies at that time because she seemed to be stable and doing quite well. The issue is that the same lady came back several weeks later and she was now complaining of worsening respiratory symptoms. Specifically, she was now complaining over the last several weeks of increasing cough, increasing sputum production, increasing sputum purulence such that her sputum had now turned dark green. And she was also now complaining of increasing shortness of breath for the last three days. Her sputum cultures were still growing mucoid pseudomonas but her lung function had deteriorated significantly and was now down to 45% of predicted. Uh, Your impressions of this patient's condition, doctor, what do you think is going on here? Well, I think this patient is having an exacerbation of her cystic fibrosis lung disease. She meets most of the classic criteria for a CF pulmonary exacerbation. That is, she's complaining of increasing cough, sputum production, sputum purulence, and dyspnea and her lung function has importantly fallen by 15% from her baseline. So she would meet all the classic criteria for a CF pulmonary exacerbation at this point. 
Doctor, the pathophysiology of pulmonary exacerbations, uh, what's known about that? Well, we know that pulmonary exacerbations are clearly associated with neutrophilic inflammation. And we believe that the bacteria within the airways are for some reason triggering an increased neutrophilic inflammatory response, which then leads to further compromise of the airway with further loss of lung function. The inflammatory response in the airway seems to be correlated with bacteria as well as with neutrophils. And the neutrophils seem to be activated and releasing inflammatory cytokines. The cytokines that are specifically been documented to increase during exacerbations include interleukin-8, which is a signaling cytokine which calls neutrophils into the airway, as well as interleukin-6, interleukin-1-beta, and tumor necrosis factor. When these neutrophils come into the airway, they're activated and they release degradative enzymes such as proteases and neutrophil elastases, which mediate further damage within the airway. And it's clear that at least part of the pathogenesis of exacerbations of CF pulmonary exacerbations are caused by these increased proteolytic enzymes, which are released from the neutrophils and damage the airways and cause increased airway inflammation and increased airway edema. And the role of pseudomonas in pulmonary exacerbations? We used to think as well that CF pulmonary exacerbations were associated with proliferation of pseudomonas within the airway, but it seems that this is actually not the case. There's now several articles, including the study that we've reviewed in our newsletter, which suggests that, in fact, if you do quantitative cultures of patients with cystic fibrosis when they're stable, or if you actually do quantitative PCR from airway secretions when patients are stable, and when you compare these values to when the patients are having a pulmonary exacerbation, we don't actually see greater density of pseudomonas within the airway. So even though the dogma had suggested that CF pulmonary exacerbations were associated with proliferation of pseudomonas within the airway and greater density of pseudomonas within the airway, there are now at least three studies that suggest that this is not the case. Other studies that have also been done that we haven't reviewed in the newsletter suggest that CF pulmonary exacerbations are not associated with isolation of new strains of pseudomonas at the time of exacerbation, i.e. the strains that we isolate during exacerbation are the exact same strains as we've seen when the patient is clinically stable. There is new work that suggests that some of these CF pulmonary exacerbations are associated with viral infection, and viruses can clearly trigger neutrophilic inflammation in the airways and potentially make patients worse without potentially having much an effect on the bacteria within the airways. Other studies suggest that anaerobic bacteria and some strep species may also be responsible for exacerbations. I expect that we may get a better handle on bacterial causes of exacerbation as we examine the airway microbiome with molecular techniques to try to pick up new species of bacteria that may have previously not been culturable on our typical bacteriologic studies. I think we'll learn more about potential microbial triggers of exacerbation with these new airway microbiome techniques, and hopefully in about a year or two, we'll have a lot more knowledge of what is causing CF pulmonary exacerbation. Antibiotic treatment is clearly indicated for this patient. What can you tell us about the best way to choose an agent? Well, we had previously thought that we could do better than our usual methods. And I'll just quickly go over the usual methodology by which we choose antibiotics. Basically, the butum gets cultured aerobically, and any species of bacteria 
that grow are isolated from the sputum culture. And then we generally test these species of bacteria to determine their susceptibility to anti-pseudomonal antibiotics. So we would test the bacteria against a panel of antibiotics in vitro to decide which antibiotics might be most effective to treat the patient. This is our standard approach to sputum culture and sensitivity, and we've been using the standard approach in clinical medicine for probably 50 years or so. There were thoughts clearly that we could do better and that perhaps we could try to choose antibiotics in a better fashion. And one of the first ideas was that since we generally treat pseudomonal infections with two anti-pseudomonal antibiotics in patients who are ill and need IV antibiotics, one theory was that if we use antibiotic synergy testing to look at combinations of antibiotics that might be most effective, that this would be a better way to direct therapy. And there is a study that our group did in, back and published in 2005, which actually tested antibiotic synergy testing against usual culture techniques and basically found that antibiotics that were chosen based on synergy tests did not result in better clinical outcomes compared to antibiotics that were chosen based on usual culture and sensitivity techniques. So unfortunately, synergy testing has basically been abandoned as a method to choose antibiotics in patients with CF exacerbations. And the synergy labs that were operational in the early part of 2000 have basically all now been closed. The other question was whether we should be doing uh, biofilm susceptibility testing in order to better choose our antibiotics. And there is certainly a biologic rationale for this because we know that pseudomonas aeruginosa, especially mucoid pseudomonas aeruginosa, grows as a biofilm within the CF airway. And what this basically means is this is a colony of bacteria which encases itself in a mucopolysaccharide coating. And these bacteria are generally relatively inactive and metabolically, some of them go into an anaerobic state. We know that when we examine these biofilm phenotype pseudomonas bacteria in vitro, that they exhibit significantly less susceptibility to conventional anti-pseudomonal antibiotics compared to when these same bacteria are grown in a free-floating planktonic state. And therefore, the idea was posed that perhaps if we grow the bacteria in vitro as biofilms and test their susceptibility to antibiotics, we might get a better sense of which antibiotics will kill the biofilm and therefore which antibiotics will be most effective clinically in patients with CF exacerbation. So Dr. Yao and colleagues from the University of Toronto actually completed a trial, which we summarized in our newsletter. And Dr. Yao's study unfortunately showed that treating patients according to the results of their biofilm susceptibility test did not improve outcomes compared to whether we treated patients according to their conventional culture and microbiology test. So the bottom line is that the way we've been choosing antibiotics for the last 50 years seems to be the best way we should continue to choose antibiotics, i.e. we should just use our regular culture and antimicrobial sensitivity testing that we do in the everyday clinical laboratory. Generally, we, in patients who are severely ill with a CF exacerbation, we'll choose two anti-pseudomonal antibiotics, and the choices are based on the antibiogram that's generated from the usual culture and sensitivity test. So the patient we've been discussing, how would you treat her? I would admit this patient to hospital. She's clearly short of breath. She's having symptoms of 
that cystic fibrosis pulmonary exacerbation and their lung function is deteriorated significantly. So the optimal treatment would involve admission to hospital and provision of twice-daily chest physiotherapy to try to improve her secretion clearance. We would also want to treat her infection with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And generally, in patients who are admitted to hospital, we choose two intravenous anti-pseudomonal antibiotics to treat the patient. The choice of antibiotics would be predicated on the standard culture and sensitivity test with the antibiogram that comes back from this testing. And generally, most of us, if possible, will try to use two anti-pseudomonal antibiotics from different classes of antibiotics. So, for instance, we might try to use a beta-lactam drug that has anti-pseudomonal properties such as piperacillin-tazobactam or potentially ceftazidine and combine that with another antibiotic class, perhaps an aminoglycoside such as tobramycin or potentially a fluoroquinolone like ciprofloxacin. So, typical treatment for this patient might include intravenous antibiotics with ceftazidime and tobramycin or Piperacillin and tobramycin, or some combination thereof. Would you continue her inhaled antibiotic therapy during this treatment? There is no clinical trial evidence to say one way or another what we should do, but generally we will continue the inhaled antibiotic in the usual regimen while the patient is concomitantly receiving intravenous antibiotics. But that is really a bit of a personal decision from the treating physician, I suspect that half my colleagues would continue the inhaled antibiotics and half would probably put the inhaled antibiotics on hold while the patient is on intravenous antibiotics. There's really no consensus on the right approach there. Thank you for today's discussion, Dr. Aaron. Uh, Let me ask you to turn your thoughts to the future for us. What might clinicians expect to see in the way of new and or improved therapies to manage pseudomonas infections? Well, we've clearly getting new evidence that suggests that astreonem is a very good option to treat chronic pseudomonas infection. So I think astreonem is moving up the ladder as one of our go-to inhaled antibiotics for pseudomonas. There are other newer inhaled antibiotics that are being developed, which are not yet marketed or, or FDA approved, but might be in the future. And those would include inhaled levofloxacin, inhaled ciprofloxacin, as well as liposomal amikacin. If any of these drugs come to market, they're going to give us further useful armamentarium of anti-pseudomonal antibiotics that we can use to treat patients chronically to try to improve their chronic infection. There are other newer antibiotics that are also in development that might be useful to treat cystic fibrosis exacerbations. So, for instance, there's a new carbapenem under development called Doripenem, which seems to have a usefulness to treat multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. And if this drug becomes available, it might be another drug that we would use to treat relatively severe CF exacerbations associated with multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. There is also a new fluoroquinolone being developed that has better antigyrase activity against multidrug-resistant pseudomonas. This drug is called cidofloxacin and may also be, if it comes on market, may be a useful addition to the only fluoroquinolone we have now, which treats pseudomonas, which is, of course, ciprofloxacin. So we definitely do need new antibiotics to treat pseudomonas, and it sounds like there are some that are in the pipeline that hopefully we'll have available in the next few years. The next future therapy that might hold some promise, as we've already discussed, is CFTR-directed therapy. 
There is some evidence, as we've already discussed, that suggests that improving CFTR function may help clear chronic pseudomonal infections in some patients. So clearly, if we can improve the basic defect of CF and restore airway surface liquid, we could certainly help improve chronic infection status in our patients. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, doctor. Let's wrap things up by reviewing today's discussion in light of our learning objectives. Uh, So to begin, the optimal therapy for managing chronic pseudomonas infections in patients with CF. Well, I think there's no real optimal therapy. Patients need to be managed clearly on a case-by-case basis. But the uh, broad strokes objectives here are to control chronic pseudomonas infection in the long term with inhaled antibiotics such as astreonam or tobramycin, as well as potentially with mucolytic therapies such as hypertonic saline or DNAs, and also with azithromycin as needed for patients with more severe chronic infections and worse lung function. The second point, of course, is that patients with chronic pseudomonas infection can have acute exacerbations of their underlying lung disease. And when this happens, we treat with specific anti-pseudomonal therapies to treat their CF exacerbations. The commonest therapies we would use as outpatients in patients who have moderate exacerbations might be ciprofloxacin. And in patients who have more severe exacerbations who require IV antibiotics, we generally choose two anti-pseudomonal antibiotics from different classes, such as ceftazidime and tobramycin or some similar combination. And our second learning objective, the pathophysiology of CF pulmonary exacerbations. The pathophysiology of CF pulmonary exacerbation relates to neutrophilic activation and migration into the airway with release of proteolytic enzymes, which cause damage and inflammation in the airway, which then result in pulmonary exacerbations. It does not appear that proliferation of pseudomonas aeruginosa within the airway is a major feature which provokes pulmonary exacerbation. Uh, And finally, the optimal choice of antibiotics to treat pulmonary exacerbations. As clinicians, we choose our antibiotics based on the usual culture and sensitivity results. We generally will choose antibiotics that pseudomonas species that are growing within the sputum culture are sensitive to. And optimal choice of antibiotics depends to some extent on the severity of the exacerbation. For patients with mild or moderate exacerbations associated with pseudomonas, we'll usually use oral ciprofloxacin as a first choice. For patients with more severe exacerbations who require IV antibiotics, we'll choose two antibiotics from different classes that the organisms are sensitive to from this most recent sputum culture. Dr. Sean Aaron from the University of Ottawa, thank you for participating in this e-cystic fibrosis review podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was a great opportunity, and I hope that everybody learned something. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity.
This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eCystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from AbbVie, Gilead Sciences Incorporated, and Vertex Pharmaceuticals. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.